you weren't here last week, uh, I'd encourage you to go online. I think it went out, maybe it went out in the email this week already, but uh, the message from last week would be great for you to kind of watch it, listen to it, kind of catch you up a little bit, because we're going to springboard a little bit off, off of that this morning. But I'll just do a bit of a recap. Before we do, though, Father, thank you that even now, you're releasing in this room the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Lord, I pray that the eyes of our heart would be flooded with light so that we would be able to see what you, wanna, you want us to take hold of today. Father, I ask you for revelation to come, that, that the light would come on in our spirit, that things that we've even read or studied or learned before, there'd be a fresh revelation. Holy Spirit, we celebrate you this morning that you would be the one that would speak to hearts and uh, bring true revelation in all its fullness in Jesus' name. And everyone that wanted that said, amen. amen. So we looked at last week, we looked at a couple scriptures, a couple passages of scripture that were kind of interesting. I feel like it, it's, uh, prophetically, I feel like we're, we're stepping into a season of, um, and it's not, I, you know, not just a season, but we're stepping into a place in the kingdom right now where God is bringing harvest. We really feel, I know it's seed time in the natural, the farmers just sowed their crops, but there's a harvest that's upon us. And some would say, well, you know, you could say that about, you know, many times in history there was a harvest upon us and this and that, that sort of thing. But if you listen to what many prophetic voices have been saying over the years and over the last little while, there were some key elements and key things that they've prophesied even decades ago that things that would happen in the natural that would be a sign spiritually of what God was going to do and regarding the harvest. So we were talking about that last week. And the interesting thing is, like, we're a, we are a spirit church, catch the fire. We want to encounter his transforming presence. There's, it's about encounter, it's about transformation, and it's all about his presence, okay? So that being said about our movement and who we are, uh, we know that Nothing we can do on our own can bring the harvest or release the kingdom or step into destiny. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Just nudge your neighbor and say it's a Holy Spirit thing. It's a, and so it's amazing because not that, not that we, we don't actually actively engage and do something. We don't just sit back and say, okay, Holy Spirit, do what you want to do. But it's about walking with him and partnering with him. Today we celebrate, if you're going on calendars, I know we're not bound by the calendar, but today's Pentecost Sunday. Woo! Have you ever thought about what it was like on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell in the room? Okay, we'll get to that in a few minutes. But first of all, let's go like this. Luke chapter 5, there's an interesting thing. This is pre-resurrection Jesus. He goes out in the boat. They've been fishing. They haven't caught anything. And he instructs them to do something. And so they do, they do what he says to do. And it says that, well, let's, let's just, we've got to read this, actually. I, how many enjoyed last week? I thought, I thought it was awesome. I thought, the, the, you know, it was a great day. And I thought the preacher did okay. And I thought that... Sometimes it just works, you know. But let's just look at this. Let's go to Luke chapter 5. I want to review this a little bit and then jump into where we're going today. But it's interesting. Uh, now, it occurred that while he was out there, the people pressed upon Jesus to hear the message of God. Verse number 1. And he was standing by the Sea of Galilee. 
Uh, and he, he saw um, two boats drawn up by the lake, but the fishermen had gone down uh, from them, and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats that belonged to Simon Peter, he requested that they draw it away from shore, and he sat down and continued to teach the crowd of people on the boat, from the boat. When he stopped speaking, he said to Simon Peter, put out, your, put out uh, into the deep water and lower your nets for a haul. Simon Peter answered, Master, we toiled all night exhaustingly and caught nothing in our nets, but on the ground of your word, somebody say word. I, I just love that. You see that all through scripture. There's something about when Jesus says something, when he speaks something, whether it's through written word or through just prophetic word or unction of the Holy Spirit, when God speaks to your heart about something, on the ground, on the foundation of your word. We sang about it today. All your promises are yes and amen. You're faithful. Great is your faithfulness. That's foundational teaching for how we can live a successful life. According, Mary, it started with Mary, see it in Mary. You know, Mary says, what could this greeting mean? You know, I'm blessed and highly favored among women. What does that mean? And then he, the, the angel says, you're going to conceive and give birth. And it's going to be the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And she's going like, what in the world? She says, how can this be? For I've not known a man. And then at some point in time, after this angel has this dialogue with Mary, over a period of time, suddenly she says, she says this. She said, behold, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. So be it according to your word. So something happened that shifted inside of her where she received the word. You know the parable of the sower and the seed and how it talks about the, 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 some was sown on, by the roadside, some was sown on you know, thorny ground, stony ground, some fell on good soil. But it talks about there in one, one passage of scripture, it talks about the word of the kingdom that was sown. And when it was sown, uh, they received it with great joy. But it took no firm root in them. And so when trials and persecutions came on account of the word, it was stolen. And so we mentioned this last week, that, that um, the pressure that, that, that is on my life right now or on your life, whatever situation you're in, we go through life and there's pressures and there's, 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 there's trial and there's, there's discomfort um, they're stretching. It's like, God, why am I going through this? And we, we, we heard a prophetic word today about that, declaring his faithfulness and getting up and going. Don't be like the one who, when the pressure came on account of the word, they gave up and then it was stolen. If you want that seed to reap a harvest in your life, pressure is going to come. In fact, it says there that pressure came on account of the word. <laughs> oh, I need a word. I need a word. Really? <laughs> And we also said this last week that um, there's no wine that flows without the crushing of the grape. There's no oil that flows without the crushing of the olive. And Jesus, in his time of most, the most pressure that he had on his life, about to fulfill the word of the Lord on his life, going to the cross, at that moment in time, he, he was in the garden of Gethsemane. And as he's there, he, he, he sweat drops of blood. There was, it was, he was feeling the press of the word on his life and what fulfillment meant. And then he said, nevertheless, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And interestingly enough, the, the garden that he was in, Gethsemane, means the place of the oil press. Right? So, so he was living this out. And so, so she, she says, he, he, Peter says here, just like Mary did, Peter says, at your word, we will do this. It doesn't make sense in the natural I've already washed my nets. 
We've been out there all night. But at your word, I will do it. Okay, let's keep reading. Let me just pause for a second. How many, how many have promises or words over your life that you feel that God has spoken to you or little nuggets of truth that God has put in your heart that you haven't seen the fulfillment of yet? I just want to encourage you in Jesus' name. Don't let go. Don't, don't let go. You'll, you, I'm like a broken record on this thing, you know. Paul said, do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap a harvest if you faint not. I think pe- some people miss their due season because they give up. I'm not going to change my theology because my experience doesn't line up with what the Word said. I want to let the word change my experience to match my theology. And my theology says his promises are yes and amen. He said it. He will do it. He who said it, he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. And so there's, but there's a partnering in this, isn't there? It's not that we just sit back and say, okay, whatever happens, happens. There's an engagement in it. So what does Peter do? He engages in it. At your word, I will do this. The reason we're walking and handing out flyers in the neighborhood is because we feel we had a word from God on it. What's the worst that could happen? Somebody gets a free hamburger. Hey. So anyway, let's keep reading. This is so good. So he goes out. It says this. They they toiled all night. And then it says, verse number 6, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and, as, um, and their nets. And as their nets were at the point of breaking, they signaled to their partners in the other boat, come and take hold of them with them. And they came and they filled both boats and they be- so that they began to sink. Somebody say sink. So their nets are breaking, their boats are sinking. We need to lose our small-mindedness. We need to really come against mindsets. You know, Paul also said to take every thought captive and pull it down into the obedience of Christ. Anything that would exalt itself above the knowledge of God. When we think too small, we partner with the enemy in what he has for us. We, we need to think and see things the way God sees things. We need heaven's perspective on things. Isaiah 66 says that the earth is the Lord's, or it says, it says that the heavens are the Lord's and the earth is his footstool. The earth is his footstool. The earth is his footstool. I don't have a, a chair big enough up here, but here's what it's like. This is the picture. The earth is his footstool. If the earth is his footstool, the problem that seems so big in my life, how big does it look to God? (laughs) Psalm 34, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. For I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. How do we get delivered from fear? We'll just start magnifying the Lord. Listen, when you start to get heaven's perspective on your situation, the, the foots, he's, the, the earth, he's so big. Our small-mindedness sometimes magnifies our problems so much bigger than what God, 
And it's like we're looking at these problems and these issues, and he sits in heaven and laughs. You know that, that, that's, that scripture where it says he sits in heaven and laughs? He's talking about the enemies and what all the stuff that's going on. He laughs. We had a prayer time on uh, Friday night with the leaders, and that was one of the words that came out. It was so funny because I was just sitting there praying, and we're encountering the Lord, and I'm kind of chuckling, having my own little time with God. And, and I think it was Ken that, that basically quoted that. Wasn't it? No, it was Eric. Sorry, Eric quoted that scripture. He, uh, it was like a silent moment. And Eric says, I just feel the Lord saying, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> and it was really quite funny. And so, anyway, no matter where you are this morning, I want, you to, I want to put things in perspective in your life. The problem, it's not like, it's crazy. God knows everything. He's so massive and so huge. The all in all, the omniscient, omnipresent omnipotent one, it, the problem that you're facing is like, just like, yeah, it's, it, you know what I mean? Lord, give us eyes to see the way you see. So the, the, the deal was, at your word, we're going to do it, and so he does it. Their boats start sinking, their nets start breaking, because the abundance of what God had in store. We talked about this, that the harvest that God has in your life individually and corporately for us and whatever is going to be such, of such magnitude that uh, we're going to need bigger boats and stronger nets. So if I truly believe what God is saying to me personally, I should be preparing now for, to create a container, a wineskin for him to flow in and move in, in my life. I said this too, um, I'm just, I'm kind of going to go with this a little bit. Uh, in John chapter 3, we know the story of Nicodemus. When he comes, he's a ruler, a leader among the religious, and he comes to Jesus and he said, I know that there's something special about you because you can't do these things that you do unless you've come from God. And uh, Jesus says to him, he said, well, you're going to, you need to be born again. You need to be born from above. You need to come back to your original Genesis, and come through me, and, and you'll see things. And it says there, it says, you can read it on your own, John chapter 3. It says that if you're born from above, he who is born from above or born again, well, if you're not born again, you'll never see the kingdom. And then later he says, nor will you enter the kingdom. And so there's something about being born again, the born again experience that automatically opens us up to see things the way God sees things. And yet, there's a choice that we have to make. It happens, like I'm preaching to the choir, okay? There's a choice that we have to make when we face issues and things that come in our way. Am I going to choose to look at this the way it naturally looks? No, no, wait a minute. I'm born from above. I'm born again. I'm actually seated with Christ in heavenly places. So just as heavens is his home and the earth is his footstool, actually, I am seated with him in that. So now I ask, Lord, I want to see this, the way you see it. And all of a sudden, that issue becomes very, very small. So seeing and entering and being born from above is, is, a, is a huge thing. So let's keep reading in Luke chapter 5. 
says there that they, they, their nets were breaking and their boats were sinking. In fact, they had to call their friends over to, to help get the catch. I likened it like this. Like, think about it like this. God's doing something so powerfully and so amazing. All this harvest is coming in that this church has to call the churches down the road and say, hey, you guys, we're, over, we're overcrowded here with new people coming into the kingdom and experiencing the salvation of God, the kingdom of God. Can you help us out? We're going to send you 100 people. You, you disciple them. You can have them. You gotta, you gotta listen. Our thinking has to change. Our mindset has to change. Peter's mindset changed. All of a sudden, he said, "According to your word, I'm going to do it." So as he wasn't thinking in it. Well, I shouldn't say he wasn't. Maybe he, maybe he was. I'm going to talk to him about that. What was it like, Peter? Because he was, he was. There was this thing happening. We just did all this work. We just did all this. We worked all night. Nothing happened. Like I've been down this road before. Why would I do it again? But at your word, and so he does it. What, you see what happens. Now go with me to John 21. In John 21, something happened between Luke chapter 5 and John 21. Luke chapter 5 is pre-resurrected Christ. John 21 is post-resurrected Christ. Now, now, now this, everything's taken place. All these things have taken place. They've gone through, they've gone through uh, you know, Jesus' ministry, teaching, miracles, signs and wonders, all these good things. And then in John chapter 21, let's go back to, let's start it in verse 1. After this, Jesus let himself be seen, revealed himself again to the disciples at the sea, same place. And he, and he did it in this way. Now, there were together Simon Peter and Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel, and also the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to him, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're coming with you. So they went out and got into the boat. Throughout that night, they caught nothing. Somebody say nothing. nothing. Morning was already breaking when Jesus came to the beach and stood there. However, the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, boys, do you have any meat, any fish? Or you don't have any fish, do you? And uh, he says, you haven't caught anything to eat. And they answered, No. Verse 6, then he said to him, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast the net, and now they were not able to haul in, for the catch was such a big, massive quantity. Then the disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved <laughs> said to Peter, that's just a funny thing. I'll make the same joke I did last week when I read that verse. Who's writing this? John's writing this. John's saying, the disciple that Jesus loved said to Peter, he's talking about himself, you know, it's just really funny. You know, I'm the one he loves the most, you know. Anyway, the one he loved uh, said to Peter, um, it's the Lord. Simon Peter, uh, hearing him say that, that it was the Lord, he, he girded up his, his upper garment, uh, his fisherman's coat, um, and his outer tunic, for he was stripped down, for he was working, and he sprang into the sea. He jumped into the sea, and the other disciples came in the small boat, for they were not far from shore, only 100 yards away, dragging in the net full of fish. When they got out on land on the beach, they saw fire coals, and there was fish lying on it, cooking and bread. Jesus said to them, bring me some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net, hauled the net into land full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were, though there were so many of them, 
the net was not torn. Their boat didn't sink and their net wasn't torn. So the whole thing that what I'm thinking here when I read that in these two different passages, God came through and did something supernatural in their life. So that became foundational for what they would expect him, expect him to do next time. They would prepare for what God wanted to do. You need to prepare your life now, and this season you're in now is even preparation for what God wants to bring you into. Sometimes we try avoiding things and getting around things instead of saying, Lord, whatever you're doing, I might not understand it, but Lord, I embrace what you're doing in my life in this season. I may not understand it, but I embrace it and say, so be it according to your word. And so this happened where they got bigger boats, they got stronger nets, the nets didn't break, they got this, this great haul of fish, this great harvest. So if we have all these words about what God wants to do in the land and in and through us, what are we doing now to prepare for what God wants to do? That was kind of the message last week, a little bit of the message. Faith, sometimes people think that faith is just doing things, going out and doing things just like blindly or whatever, but faith is actually acting on the revelation that God gives you. It's action. Faith is action. So it's doing something. Now, and it looks like something. So I just think it's interesting because some people think that, because in, in John chapter 3, as I quoted earlier, in John chapter 3, then Jesus talks about those that are led by the Spirit. It's, he talks about the wind, how we don't know where the wind's going or blowing or how it blows. So are the people that are led by the Spirit. And I wanted to emphasize this again today. We are people of the Spirit. People of the Spirit, though, are not just floating all over the place and just woo, 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 woo. People of the Spirit have the wisest one in their lives. So there should be wisdom for what is going to take place. It may not make sense in the natural. He says, so are people of the Spirit. I think what he's saying there is he's saying, when you're a person of the Spirit and you're born from above, you can see things that are different than what other people see. So it's going to look like, to other people, it's going to look like, oh, you're just do. But as a person of the Spirit, you actually see and you just do what you see the Father doing. Let's look at a guy named Noah. He gets this word that he's supposed to build a boat, a big boat. And so for 100 years, he works on this project of this boat in a land that has never seen flood. Now, he looked like a, a wacko. But faith looked like something. He didn't just sit back and say, okay, that's quite a crazy word. Wow, amazing. Okay, so be it according to your word. No, it took planning. It took, it took blueprint. It took focus. It took dedication. It took routine. It, like all these things that sometimes we don't like, it, that, that, that whole thing like, that he did, he, he undertook this. And then at the time of the flood, it's interesting how God just drew the animals to the ark. Wow. So what kind of boat are you building? with your life. Um, we're not going to belabor that part of it. I, I do want to say this. We, we talked about this that last week, though, we talked about the harvest and what God is upon us for and that sort of thing. And I talked about the timeline and how harvest is a process. It's a, harvest is a, um, you know, it's a consequence of sowing seed. And uh, I'll, I'll, I mentioned this too. I think I did anyway. Maybe I didn't, but... Um, 
No farmer plants seed and doesn't expect an increase on the seed that was sown. Right? And so I think we need to change our minds a little bit. Um, the other thing I said this was the seed time, the, the container for the grain that holds the seed to go in the ground is a lot smaller than the bin that holds the harvest. So if we're believing in harvest, just like they've got a bigger boat and a stronger net, we need to think in our lives, we need to think bigger. We need to think bigger. All right, so let's look at this. In John chapter 6, are you guys following the bouncing ball today? In John chapter 6, something is really, this is cool. I love this passage of scripture. Um, Pick it up in 16. John chapter 6. When evening came, his disciples went out on the sea, and they took a boat, and they were going across the sea to Capernaum. Now it was dark, and Jesus had still not come back to them. Meanwhile, the sea was getting rough and rising because of a high, great, violent wind that was blowing. However, when they'd rowed for three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, approaching the boat, and they were afraid. They were terrified. But Jesus said to them, it is I, be not afraid, or I am, stop being frightened. I am, interesting, same thing that, that, that God said to Moses at the burning bush, I am, you know. Anyway, um, then they were quite willing and glad for him, and they invited him into the boat. Now the boat went at once, somebody say at once, to the land that they had steered toward, and immediately they reached the shore toward which they had been slowly making their way. So there's a time miracle here, right here in John chapter 6. They're rowing in the storm, sailing in the storm, I don't know, they're doing whatever they're doing. And as they're pressing in this storm, they welcome Jesus into their boat. And immediately, they arrive at their destination where they were pointed. Tells me a couple things. We need to be pointed in the direction we want to go. And it's a good thing to invite Jesus into your boat. I mentioned this last week about the two times. There's, there's chronological time. There's two Greek words for, for time in, in, in the New Testament. There's chronos and there's kairos, Okay. Chronological time, one, two, three, four, five, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, rock, four o'clock, five o'clock, okay, all that kind of stuff. And then there's and then there's the there's Kairos time, which is the due season, the now time of God, where uh, Kairos time is like a what should take months will take just days, what should take, you know, hours will take minutes, whatever, that kind of thing. Well, this was like a Kairos moment right here for them. Because what should take you know, they've been rowing or going against the wind and, and into this storm for three or four miles, and it's rough and it's tough. And when they invite Jesus in their boat, instantly they arrive on the shore where they were pointed. Just a couple questions. Where are you pointed? And have you invited Jesus into your boat? Well, he's in my heart. Well, I know he's in your heart, but have you invited him into your boat? Have you invited him into the middle of your storm where you're struggling and having issue, you know? So, so he hops in the boat and immediately they're on the other side. So that was a time miracle. That was a Kairos thing. It was like, whoop. It was like instantly, you know, first cousin of suddenly, just bam, that happened there. There they are. 
So those are some thoughts that will kind of bring us up to speed. Um, I want to look, I want to get it, what are we doing for time here? Okay, we're still okay. Take your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 24. Because I want to, the whole purpose of this whole thing, the whole purpose of talking about, you know, bigger boats and stronger nets is that we would prepare in our own lives for what God wants to bring us into. We would point ourselves in the right direction so that God can do those things with us, right? That they can, he can, he can just, we're on the other side right now, like those kind of things. Uh, And I think that, you know, you've heard it said before that the, um, the attitude of expect, expectancy is the birthplace for miracles. So I'm expecting this to happen. I'm expecting. I don't know what it'll look like, but I'm expecting something to happen. I'm expecting that God's going to do something here. And so that, that becomes like the cradle where God can just birth the miraculous in our lives. And so we see here in Luke chapter 24. I love this. This is, this is, this is so fun. Luke chapter 24, let's go verse 49, right at the end there, it says this, And behold, I will send forth upon you what my Father has promised, but remain in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed, somebody say clothed, clothed from power from on high. And so what happened was, this is right before Jesus heads up and heads off, and, and he, he gives this charge to them, wait in Jerusalem, because you're going to be clothed with power. And then uh, let's go to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 8 says this. It says, but you will receive power. Somebody say power. Power. Just that word there, just so we're familiar with it. It's that word dunamis, which means dynamic, dynamite, explosive power. Uh, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends or the outer bounds of the earth. Okay? So there's a promise here. That, now, picture this. So there's a promise that they're going to be clothed with power, and they're going to be witnesses, and this kingdom is going to go out into all the earth. The promise is, or the, ur- the, the, the urging is, just like he said, Peter, put your net out on the other side. Go out into the deep. These things like this. So he did that. So he says, go to Jerusalem and wait. So they went to Jerusalem, and historians tell us that probably 600 people were there and heard that. And at the 10-day time period of waiting until the day of Pentecost had fully come, 10 days, some of them realized that, well, I don't know, I I would say this, not to bash them, but some got weary in well-doing. And they gave up. Well, I got things to do. I, I, I got to go. I got to, I just can't. No, well, uh. and so it's interesting. Jesus said earlier, it's better that I go to the Father because I'll ask him and he'll send the Holy Spirit. Jesus was one man anointed by the Holy Spirit going about his way, doing his thing. Then he sent people out and that sort of thing. But he knew that what was going to happen was it's not just going to be one person or 12 people just going here and there, in and out, in and out, in and out. But I'm going to go to my father. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. So he will clothe millions and millions and millions of people so that they can go about and do exactly what Jesus was doing. I'm a candidate. You're a candidate. 
Are, are you seeing? He said, that's why he's saying, I, I'm, I'm just, it's like we're stuck to a little thing here. But guess what? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be clothed with power and it's going to go viral. That's what he said. Well, I paraphrase. Uh, <laughs> so let's look at it in Acts chapter 2. It says here, when they were... When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all assembled together in one place. Somebody say one place. Somebody say together. I think there's a key right there. I think there's a real key. Scripturally, God's always looking for a remnant. You see it all through the word. Um, there's something about unity, about sticking together, about being of one heart and of one mind. Uh, there's something about that, you know. That, that God, in fact, Psalm 133 says that how beautiful, how lovely it is when brethren dwell together in unity. For there, God commands his blessing. There's a commanded blessing. You want to see in your marriage? You want to see a greater outbreak of blessing in your marriage? Join your hearts together in unity. Dream together. Envision together. Prophesy together. This is what we're believing for. This is what we're going to go for. Father, we believe we've heard your word. And watch the commanded blessing come upon your life. Take it a little bit bigger. Think about it as a corporate body, as a church, walking together. Whoa! Commanded blessing. You got, we got to think bigger, folks. Come on. I'm, I'm telling you, some of you, your God is too small. Way too small. Ah! Okay, well, we'll hold off on that one. Get to that later. When uh, suddenly there came a sound. Somebody say Sound. Sound from heaven like the rushing of a violent wind, a tempest blast. It filled the whole house in which they were all sitting. And there appeared to them tongues resembling fire which separated and distributed on each one of them. And they were all filled or diffused throughout themselves with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in different foreign languages, different tongues, as the Spirit kept giving them clear, loud expression, each tongue in appropriate words. So... This is the outbreak of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Now, I want you to think about this. The Holy Spirit, for some reason, you know, we talk about things like he's gentle and he, he goes where he's welcomed and invited and that kind of thing. I, I agree to a measure. It's funny, when, we see, when we, see the, we see the pictures and we see the Godhead, we think of the Father as, uh, you know, the Father is more of a stoic, angry one with a big gray beard sitting on the throne. And he's like the, the father that's kind of keeping us in line, right? That, that's just, I'm just letting you into my mind as it was at one point in time. And then we see Jesus and automatically we think, we know what Jesus looks like because we've seen so many pictures of him. He's for sure, he's, he's got a hipster beard and he's got blue eyes and wavy hair. He's got like a Malibu tan. Some of them actually look kind of effeminate, but yet it, we know that, the, and then there's happy Jesus and that, but we, we think we know what Jesus looks like. It's interesting because he he's Middle Eastern. I just think it's funny that we see this blue-eyed, blonde-haired, wavy, I'm a hipster, hipster Jesus. Anyway, so we know what Jesus, but then when we think about the Holy Spirit, we think of the Holy Ghost, it's like, ah, holy Casper, the ghost, you know? And we also think we sometimes have preconceived ideas about the Holy Spirit that he, he, he you know, he does. And I get that. He, he is a gentleman, 
but there's a violence to the Holy Spirit. There's something about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit and chaos. It's amazing because if you look at Genesis chapter 1, in the second verse in Genesis chapter 1, it says that there was void and the, the, the Holy Spirit brooded or fluttered or vibrated over the waters and over the void. The Holy Spirit was present in the middle of the void, in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the nothingness. You know, he was there, right? And then we see here in Acts chapter 2, the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's not knocking at the door and saying, I'd like to come in and dine with you. He blows in the place. He blows the place up. It was like, think about it. Jesus said you'll you receive power, like explosive power. So it makes sense then that when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, at that moment in time, it looked like something. It sounded like something, right? Other places in Acts, once the Holy Spirit was poured out, the place that we, they were was shaken. I think I mentioned this last week, but there's something about, there's wind. Somebody say wind. wind. There's fire. fire. Yeah. And, and so <laughs> I, just, I just think, I think we should just pray and ask the Lord on our own throughout, you know, the, this week. Here's a homework assignment. Holy Spirit, I want you to blow in my life the way that you want to. And I welcome the chaos of the Holy Spirit to my life. <laughs> that might be a dangerous prayer to pray. <laughs> I think that, the, that the, the Pentecost event, the celebration of Pentecost that they experienced where the outpouring of the Holy Spirit took place, that was, just, that was an initial, okay, that started something. And from there we go, it's not just something to be repeated like a one-off or, or, or a one-off that, well, I hope he does something like that again. There's something about it that we sang about it this morning, about um, there's a river and flowing out from me. Didn't we sing that? John chapter 7, Jesus prophesied, said, prepare, get yourselves ready. Make a boat, build a stronger net for what's coming. Out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. It's going to flow through you, this, this living water. And he was talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that hadn't happened yet. It says it there in, Luke, in John chapter 7. So there's a preparation. And, and I'm, just, I'm here to tell you, folks, I know we're not bound by a, a calendar, whether it be a Hebrew calendar or a, you know, whatever kind of calendar, Gregorian calendar, whatever. We're not bound by that. But I want you to understand something, that what God did on the day of Pentecost was a starting point for something that he wanted to do so that the whole earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And the only way that happens is if we say, ah, oh, Holy Spirit, I welcome you. I, I'm just like they experienced you on the day of Pentecost. I might be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I've experienced that. That's great. But I'm welcoming you into my life that I would walk in the clothing of the power from on high. And I welcome the brooding of you over my life and over my situation. I welcome the chaotic nature of who you are into my life. I welcome the violence of you in my life. It's a good violence. What he does is he likes to come in and kick things out that don't belong there. <laughs> so but there's a, there's a heart for it. There's a, there's a longing for it. There's a, there's a desire for it. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Speaking of this him, the Holy Spirit, when he came and he was poured out, there's something about 
the fluidity of the Holy Spirit flowing and moving in our lives and the, the structure of, like I said last week, the, the boats represent structure. The nets are kind of like relationships. But the, the structure of what we're building in our lives so that, that the Holy Spirit can use us and, and take us somewhere, okay? Um, I just want to show you how the Holy Spirit, it's interesting. It says, um, when, uh, where was it? Yeah, it was Michelangelo when he, when he began to paint. And um, wasn't it Michelangelo that painted the Sistine? Yeah. When he began to paint, he says this. He said, um, I, the, 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 um, the Holy Spirit would come upon me four and five times a day. And after that happened, then I would just go and paint. So the Holy Spirit was on the artisans, on those, those creators of beautiful art and, and beautiful structures and, you know, edifices of, of grandeur and whatnot. And I get it, you know, Jesus, I, I get it that, that um, you know, architecture and that sort of thing. I, I think it's interesting that if you look at our architecture, something, something shut down creatively in our architecture from back in the day, centuries, centuries ago. It did, it shut down. And so, in fact, but the, the artisans and uh, the artisans and the, the, um, uh, the builders of these beautiful edifices for the Lord, which is what they were, these beautiful structures, they would plan and prepare for these structures hundreds of years in advance. They would plant trees that they wouldn't harvest for several hundred years, that they would use for the building of the, of the structure. And, and I understand God is not about just buildings and structures, but, I, but get this, I think we, we need, especially in our climate today, <laughs> we need in Manitoba, we need structures. I mean, we're talking about physical buildings, but even take it beyond that, the structure of your life and the structure of how you operate your life with purpose and with direction and that sort of thing. We need to prepare for what we want God to do and believe he wants to do. So in one sense... It's not that the Holy Spirit comes in and it's all just crazy chaotic, but it, it is crazy chaotic. But he works within a structure. It's interesting that it was, it was the presence of God that came upon Moses to give him the detail of what ingredients to put in the anointing oil. He went up in the mountain and he was in this wild encounter, 40 days, woo! The, the glory, the fire, the swirl, all the above. And in that moment of awesomeness he got the structure he even saw the structure of the temple how it would how it would be built all the structures all the blueprints all those things came out of a chaotic experience with the holy spirit but there was structure in it and so it's not that we don't it's not that we we need just the spirit and no structure it's together we need both you see like oh. How could I? I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to find the words to describe what I sense in my heart so much. Um, your life, my life, where God is taking us individually and corporately, requires us to say, I want to I build my life in a structure that is, that is like a wineskin that can contain and, and be a conduit to, for new wine to flow through. And, and I want to... I wanna, I want to be flexible to change. I want to be flexible to, to move and change as I need to change. But yet I want to, so I want to be purposeful. 
and structured in that sense, but then I want to be chaotic all at the same time. I don't want to be chaotic just for the sake of looking chaotic. chaotic. But anytime you see the Holy Spirit moving in power, it does look chaotic. 